Grace, mercy, and peace be to, to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I think a little bit about prayer. Prayer. So maybe who do you pray for? Who are the people? We know you can pray everywhere. All right, we got that. But who are the people that you might pray for? Uh, you know, often in our prayers, so we can look at our own uh, bulletin, our newsletter, and think of the names that are listed there. Those names are uh, given to us by, by you. Those are people that you know, and people that, uh, that you love and you care about. Those, th- the things that we tend to pray for are the things that are often pressing in on us. Uh, they're the, the pains and concerns of our life. Uh, we often start with prayer, at least I know I do, thinking about myself and my family. I'm mean, not saying selfish prayer, but I just kind of start thinking about me, because that's what I deal with, is me. St. Paul says maybe when we think about prayer, maybe we could start maybe coming on the other end. Thinking about praying about people for people that don't even know who you are. And someone that you might only know them by name. You know, that we pray for our leaders. Pray for our leaders. I I know that uh, for for myself, and and many times we think, well, all right. I grew up in, you know, here in America. In America, it's, a, it's, a, it's nice, right, growing up here. Um, I've never had to deal with civil unrest. Um, life has been pretty, you know, community pretty stable. And so when I think about prayer, I think, well, and about my leaders, I think, well, maybe I shouldn't, right, because uh, I shouldn't pray about them, and the church shouldn't pray about them. I don't want the church to, to sound like we're propping up the government and that Everything that the government is, we're all behind. We don't want to put off that kind of image. But there's many of us in our community of faith here at Timothy that have grown up in different uh, places. And you know what it's like to grow up and to live in civil war and with dictators and with real corruption. Growing up with uh, that fear that in the middle of the night someone could knock on your door and take you away. And so you think about that. Well, how do I pray for those leaders? How do I do that? How does my prayer uh, uh, shaped by that kind of life? And then even if you haven't had that experience, we still we live in this world of instant news, and so you know what's happening out in the world, and how do we then pray for those around the world who suffer at the hands of their leaders? Maybe the question for us today is, how do we Christians, how do we citizens of the kingdom of God, how do we live and how do we pray in a world, a kingdom of men, a kingdom of kings? Well, it's, well we can look back, what have Christians done throughout history? You know, the first Christians, they lived in a, a time where they were persecuted unjustly, unjustly for their faith. Before that, God's people had suffered as well, many times, many times at the hands of pagan kings, pagan leaders. And what they wanted to do, their prayers to God were, God, come down and kill them. <laughs> God, come down with all of your might and all of your power and God, wipe them out. Get rid of them. And what God said to the people, his people, when they were in exile, said through the prophet Jeremiah, he says, no, what you're going to do is you're going to settle down. And you're going to live in the, in the city. And you're going to pray for them. You're going to pray for these pagan leaders. 
And you're going to seek what's best. You're going to love them. You're going to care for them. You're not going to pray for them to die. You're actually going to pray for what's best for them. You know, pray not they just get to come to know Jesus. Okay? But pray really what is best for them. That God would seek what is good for them. Pray to God our Savior for them. And, and pray, pray not just that we get the right king. That's not what the prayer should be. Pray not that we just get the right government. Or pray that we have the right laws passed. Or if, if we can get just the right one. If this time we can get the right one things are going to go pretty well for us. If we can get just the right one in charge, then now that we have them, now we have real hope. Real hope. Now God says pray. Pray to God our Savior, for we have one Savior. It's Jesus Christ. We have one Savior, and our Savior is not any king. It's not any president. It's not any governor, any mayor. It's no... Uh, you know, uh, no uh, elected person. They are not our Savior, uh, no matter how much power they have. Because in the end, it's not just that we need the right ruler, or we need the right government, or the right kind of government. See, for all the good that any government does, all the good that they do, hopefully they're doing some good, but for all the good they do, it's just temporary. It's just temporary. Uh, just ask, you know, any historian would tell you, any good they do, it's temporary, because what happens next is another government comes in, and they do what they do, and they change things. So it's, it's temporary. And so that's not our hope, because it's only a temporary thing. Our hope is in things that are eternal. And the other reason why it's not our hope is because it's not the kingdom of God. And no matter what they do, they do not bring the kingdom of God. No matter what they do, they can't advance the kingdom of God. For they are not. The kingdom of God is what our hope is in. Our hope, our hope is only in Jesus. Our hope is, you know, as we sang, he's the hope of the world. He's our hope. And the hope that, that, that we have then is in the willingness of you, God's people, to partner with God. As you pray, as you pray for the kingdom of God to come and for his will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And as we imitate him, the kingdom of God is based on, on you trusting in God as our sole ruler. Kingdom people, people of God, we are to place no more trust in governments and in leaders and kings and presidents. Place no more trust in them than Jesus did. And how much trust did Jesus put into the kings? Zero. <laughs> Zero trust. Zero trust. So we should neither. Uh, Jesus says, you know, he says that no, no one can serve uh, two masters. And often we think that passage is talking about just money. He's saying, well, you just can't serve two masters. That's a pretty uh, straightforward kind of statement. Because see, if you, if you only can serve one. Because if you serve, try to serve two, you either hate one and love the other. You despise the one and, and are devoted to the other. Same as it goes with saying, if I, am I going to serve and be devoted completely to the kingdoms of this world or be devoted completely to the kingdom of God? So the question maybe then, maybe think it this way, is do I trust in the power of uh, our leader or do I trust in the power of Christ? Do I place more confidence in my vote for a politician than in my prayer for that politician? Where does our power lie? 
The power of a Christian is not in your vote. The real power that you have is in your kingdom heart, expressed in love, down on its knees, in prayer. In prayer and in service to the world. See, no matter what nation we live in, no matter where we are, the kingdom of God always looks the same. Because the kingdom of God always looks like Jesus. It always looks like love. A loving self-sacrifice to others. A kingdom of self-sacrifice that unmasks the, the powers of evil and injustice. Those things that wage war against the flesh and blood. And the kingdom of God is that which fights against those things. That hold us all in bondage. The kingdom of God is a beautiful kingdom a beautiful kingdom because it looks like Jesus. And Jesus, when, when people try to tra- trap him into think about pol- politics of his day, they wanted them, everyone does. They, everyone wants me to say, what do I think about politics too? I mean, everyone wants someone to tell them what to think about the politics of the day. Jesus never did. He never got into it. He never said, well, here's, here's the right policy that Caesar should take about this, that, the other. He, he never did. Instead, what Jesus would do is he would expose the ugliness of the systems of the world, the kingdoms of this world. And so, you can think of just lots of different, so many, but just a few we might think of today. So when it came to the role of women in society, what did Jesus do? Jesus elevated them and gave them a dignity and an unprecedented uh, place in society, a, a time where, you know, so we sang our, our little song, you know, this, uh, Laura sang the, the stanza there about Mary learning at the feet of Jesus. The, Jesus, she was there as a disciple, one to learn from him. That was unprecedented uh, in the culture around. And Jesus honored that and said, that's good. Uh, St. Paul picks up on that and says that women should learn here in our letter from First Timothy you know, that was in a time where women were told, don't learn. It was wrong to learn. It was uh, kind of abhorrent for them to, to learn anything. And he says, no, they should. It's kind of exposing the ugliness of that system. And Jesus exposed the ugliness of, of prejudice when he would uh, hold up Samaritans and Gentiles as heroes of stories of faith. Uh, and most uh, clearly we see Jesus expose the, the greatest ugliness of every kingdom of this world and its brutality as Jesus allowed himself to be crucified. He allowed that all the ugliness of all the power, that only power that the kingdoms of this world have is that power of force, the power of death. And he allowed it to come on him. And he allowed it to come on him so that he could die for them, in love for them. And so we can have that same attitude as Jesus as we put the interest of others before our own. As we look like him, we pray like him, and we pray uh, in, in love for those that are in place, people in leadership above us. And we do it not by trying to conquer over them and try to get our way and force our way into it, but we do it by love, being, being willing to suffer for them and pray for them. When we as a community or as individuals, we choose to to be like Jesus and bleeding for others, praying for them, it is then that the kingdom of God is advanced. It's then that the kingdom of God moves forward in this world. It's then that the kingdom of God can have an impact on individuals and upon our society 
and upon rulers, a, a greater power that would, you know, none of that would ever happen if all we said, well, let's just take the, the, the point of the church and make it all about playing politics to try to find a quick, easy answer to have things done the way that we want them. Instead, we choose the, the, the truer path, the more difficult path, sacrificial uh, path of Jesus. It is difficult for sure, but it is that alone. It is only that that will unify the church. It is only that that can move the kingdom of God forward and transform hearts. For it's only the power of the cross and not the power of the sword that holds hope for the world. Even if it looks like evil wins, our hope is still only in the cross. For three days it looked like the sword had won as Jesus lay in the tomb. But the resurrection of Jesus proved otherwise. The resurrection of Jesus vindicates Christ's loving sacrifice as it ended the devil's death grip on this world. And Jesus' victory is confidence that for you, it's a confidence for you that, that your uh, work of prayer, this thing that seems so kind of not common sense thing to do, that we're going to pray for people, it's then that, that uh, we see that that really does have power. It does have power. Even if it looks like we might be losing. See, sometimes we think prayer, I know I look at myself, I think, oh, prayer, sometimes it feels to me like when I'm praying, it's just words into the air. It feels like not a lot. It feels like it's kind of an empty thing to pray. And it feels like if I want to get something really done, i got to get out there and just go and do it and change things. But if we could see with the eyes of God, then we would be able to see that the outcome of a battle... Maybe it depends more on the hands of a man standing on a hill, raised in prayer, than all of the armies of earth. Faith can see and understand that it hinges more on whether kingdom people of God are really on our knees in prayer, praying for our leaders, rather than depending on them. Now, it's not to say that you can't have a political opinion. Can have one. <laughs> I've got mine. Uh, sometimes, most often, I don't. <laughs> don't have much of an opinion. I think of myself as kind of politically agnostic. I might say. But you can have have an opinion. That's great. It's great to have an opinion about things. If you want to go and vote, great, go do that. You know, it's okay. Christians, we can have all different kinds of opinions about how the best way for a government to go about doing its work. Uh, here in our congregation, I know that all of you have different ideas, that none of, not even two of you <laughs> think the same thing. I know in our own house, we don't think the same thing. And that's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Because that's, uh, that's really not what we're all about. It's not about just having all on the same kind of political line. That's not our unique call. Our unique call as people of God has everything to do, not with a unique vote, but with a unique way of living. The hope of the world lies not in achieving any policies or having certain leaders to be in place. Rather, it lies in your willingness, as the disciples of Jesus, to simply be the kingdom of God that he calls you to be. 
The devil has known all along that the easiest way, the fastest way for the church to lay down the cross is to give us the sword. Because then we stop being the church. You have a greater calling. Your greater calling is a call to prayer. The call to prayer is then the call to think rightly about the world and to think rightly about God. And so we would not rest with simplistic agendas of the world. The agendas of the world that try to just, the whole point of it is to divide us, to split us apart. But the call of God is one that drives us together. So let's try, let's try to pray for our rulers, the ones that are there, and watch not only what God is going to do, but also watch as God changes your heart. He changes your attitudes, the way that he will change you and help you grow and become more. In his name we pray. Amen. We would invite you to fill out the connection cards. If you're a visitor today, uh, please note a way in which we can connect with you. If there are special prayers that you have for us to consider uh, this week in our staff meetings or prayers that you want in the newsletter, uh, please note that. We will have uh, a prayer leader after church. Jim Smith will be up here uh, behind the pulpit afterwards if there's some prayers that you want to. Uh, Barb's going to do that today. Uh, be up front, uh, pray for you. So if there's some special prayers that you want to offer to God, uh, please come forward after worship. Special prayers besides those in our newsletter, Dan Hendricks. We've been praying for him. He did receive his transplant. We also pray for Aiden Powell, who will have tests. Uh, Bo Chase, who has cancer. Uh, give thanks today for Andrew and Mel Krakow and their anniversary. Uh, Diane Kelly's birthday is today. Uh, thankful that Gary and Alice had safe travel back here to St. Louis and pray for Will and Monique as they travel back uh, to Texas today and also for the storm that went through Texas and some of the damage that has been done. Uh, we pray for people there. We now gather our offering. 